Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Creativity. Here's how to get unstuck. I'm your host, creativity coach, Nancy Norbeck. Let's go. Kevin Carey came to writing and filmmaking late in his career, but has wasted no time producing a wide range of poetry, fiction, and documentaries, including a crime novel, Murder in the Marsh, and a middle grade novel, Junior Miles and the Junk Man. He's also the coordinator of creative writing at Salem State University in Massachusetts, where he teaches intro and upper level creative writing courses. Kevin tells me how he got his start with writing, how his MFA experience changed both his writing and the opportunities available to him, the importance of reading your work to others, and much, much more. Here's my conversation with Kevin Carey. Kevin, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Thank you. So I always start everyone with the same question, which is, were you a creative kid or did you find your creative side later on? Well, um, I was interested in creativity. I, I was a creative kid. I, I always liked storytelling. I liked the stories my father would tell us. Uh, I was a big movie fan as a kid, big film buff. And, uh, so I, I had a, a side of me that, that wanted to explore that. Um, but I really never did until later in my life. So, uh, it's kind of a funny thing. I I had two little kids and had had many different jobs and went back to school to get a master's degree and and just decided I, I wanted to write more. I started taking all these creative writing courses and I took so many. Someone said to me, you know, you might as well matriculate and get a degree. You're halfway there. So um, and that's really when it started to become a serious thing for me. Um, I had dabbled in it over the years, but uh, I, I was I was kind of late to the game. That's interesting. So when mm. you started to take it more seriously, how did that how did that look? Well, um, I can tell you one experience that really fueled it for me. Um, I had written a poem about a guy I worked with on the beach. He had died. He was a really nice guy. And it got published in this little magazine, and they had a reading at a bookstore in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And uh, so I had never done this before. So I said, "Yeah, all right, I'll I'll go up." And and I and I read the poem, and it was only a few people there, you know. And uh, a guy was walking by, and he stopped and he listened, and and he came over to me and said, uh, "Oh, I just lost my brother," and we had a twenty-minute conversation about the poem, and. And I drove home thinking, wow, how, how cool was that? You know, like, um, and I just got this idea that I wanted to do this again. Like, I really enjoyed the communication of that, you know, not, not to just get the pat on the back, but just to be able to talk to someone about something that you've written. And, and that, that really stayed with me. And, uh, and I just got serious about it, you know, and. One thing led to another, and uh, I got an MFA after that master's degree and um, was lucky enough to get an adjunct teaching job that turned into a full-time job many years later and um, and started publishing this narrative poetry books and fiction. You know, I, I was a fiction writer at first, I think, and, and in the beginning, all I could publish was 
narrative poetry. So um, sometimes the writing takes you where it wants to take you, right? So, uh, <laughs> um, so true. But now I feel like I've come kind of full circle as of the last few years, especially. And um, I, I, I always enjoyed it, but it took me a long time to get serious about it. You know, the idea of being a writer is is great, right? But you have to sit down. You have to sit down and write a lot. <laughs> it does involve actually putting words on a page. Yes. Which is the part that seems to flummox a lot of people. <laughs> I know. You know, it isn't easy and it's lonely. Um, that's why at certain stages, I'll find myself in coffee shops with just ambient noise and people around and you know, because it 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 can be kind of lonely just sitting up in your room and scribbling away. You know, so but the the joy of it is sharing it with people and you know having opportunities to you know like I'm doing now with you, just talk to people about it. You know, I, that that makes it feel validated for me. Sure. Well, and I think that it's it's interesting that that you had that experience doing that reading pretty early on so you got that kind of reinforcement that a lot of writers don't get because they are sitting on their own yeah i mean true i did i it it was an early positive experience early you know relatively i was like late 30s at the time right so um but all all that rejection came pouring in as well years, <laughs> you know <laughs> So, um, no, no shortage of that, you know, yeah, there's, and there's no avoiding the rejection. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, it, it, it still bugs me a little, but it doesn't bug me like it used to. It doesn't, def it doesn't defeat me like sometimes it would in the past, you know? Um, I just keep moving on and keep writing and, you know, sometimes it's a numbers game. You just got to keep throwing it against the wall until oh, something sure. sticks. You know? Do you yeah. think that? that it's easier to deal with rejection now just because you've been through it so many times or has your perspective on it changed? Well, you know, I, you always get that initial little, uh, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, I really thought I had a chance at this. So this seemed like a good fit, you know, but then you, you just, you know, put your big boy pants on and realize this is part of the game, you know? So, um, uh, and you know, it is, uh, it's, it's a very subjective business. And, you know, one, one person's rejection is, you know, someone else loves that. So, um, you just have to just not give up. You know, I mean, I, I tell my students that all the time, if you're serious about this, just stay serious, no matter what the rejection is, just, you know, just keep going. Right. And, you know, you someday you'll be glad you did. It's, uh, you know, and look, there are people that, you know, just kind of come out of grade school and write that novel and become rich and famous, right? So, I mean, there's there's amazing stories about young writers that that just take off. That wasn't my story, nor is it today. So, you know, but that that's okay. I mean, it, it's uh, it's it's all right for it to take some time, and it's and it's all right to feel really good about it when it finally does happen, you know? So um, I'm okay with all of it. Yeah, I'd like everything I send out to be scooped up right away, but, you know, 
it's not the real world for me anyway. And also, I think it's just normal. You know, it's the rare person who has that experience where something is suddenly snapped up right away, first try, and everything is smooth sailing from there. That's just not normal for most people. No, it isn't. It's uh, so I feel like I'm kind of in with the gang, you know, like this is uh, this is an ongoing kind of struggle. But I, I, I can't imagine not doing it now after doing it for so long, you know. Um, and I and I write in a lot of different genres, which I think helps me because I can never have an excuse. Well, I can't write. I just can move on to something else, you know, and uh, and that's been good for me. How did you end up writing in so many different genres? Well, I told you, I, I think I wanted to be a fiction writer. And, uh, and I, you know, I was writing a lot of fiction and, but I got in this MFA program and I met all these crazy New Jersey poets and they took me under that wing. And, uh, you know, uh, and I'm so grateful to them to this day. And, and it just led me down this, you know, temporary path of, uh, you know, writing a lot of narrative poetry about my life and people I knew and places I knew. And, and those were the books that got published early. And, um, and it was great. It was wonderful. It was unexpected, really. Um, and uh, and I, I value those friendships and, and that work. And, and I still write poetry. Um, but uh, that fiction was always kind of just lurking there, waiting to, waiting to get its turn, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and it has. And it feels good about that. I feel good about that, too. Well, and you write a lot of different kinds of fiction, too. I do, yeah. Some some literary fiction. I've written a crime novel, and most recently, I've written a middle grade novel. So, um, yeah, I'm touching a few bases, which is fun, you know. Now it's interesting. The middle grade novel, if I can, Junior Miles and the Junk Man, uh, that came out in se September twenty uh, sixth, just came out. I had that novel for about ten years. Oh wow! In in different forms. Um, and uh, I had three different agents for it. They all loved it. I got really good reads at big houses. The big houses would say wonderful things about it, and nobody would buy it. Um, so after this last agent, after a couple of years, I took it back and started to shop it myself. And uh, uh, Regal House Publishing in North Carolina picked it up. And I'm just so happy that it's found a home. I mean, I've lived with this novel in in different iterations for really 10 or 12 years. So, you know, my message when I go and read and I talk to kids about writing is don't throw anything out, <laughs> hang on to it, and just, you know, keep working on other stuff. And when it's time, you know, it'll happen. Yeah. 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 And uh, so um, I'm particularly happy about this coming out now. And it's just, you know, it was something that I thought about for a long time. You know, my kids are 29 and 31. I was talking to my daughter and she said, I remember when I was in gym, when I was in gymnastics, you were working on that manuscript. <laughs> so, <Wow>. you know, <laughs> that's a long time ago. And, um, but you know, the actual finished novel is a good 10 to 12 years old. So, 
Well, and there's something to be said, I think, for listening to the things that don't want to leave you alone. You Absolutely. Know, if yeah. they keep pulling yeah. you back, there's a reason that they keep pulling you back, I think. Well, even the even the uh, inspiration for this novel was uh, is an exhibit that still travels around. It's called Springs, Sprockets, and Pulleys. And it's these life-sized figures made of foul material. And they, they could be a band or different setups. And you press a button and they all move at once. They're all on pulleys. And that exhibit, I had taken my children to in Pittsfield, Mass. And I, I started thinking about this figure made of junk that came alive. And then two years later, I'm still thinking about it. And I'm in the MFA program in uh, New Jersey. And the Morristown Museum had the same exhibit. So I went and saw it again. So it was chasing me around, you know, it was just, yeah. it just kept coming up in my life. And, uh, and then I started to craft a story around it and finally, you know, so it was really, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of cross inspiration too, right? Like, you know, having painting or music or something inspire the written word. And, uh, so this felt like, and I've since met the artist of that after this book came out because I acknowledged him in it. His name is Steve Gerberich. He has a studio in Newburgh, New York. And uh, it's a fascinating place full of like uh, just found material, sculptures in motion all over the place. It's like crazy creative space. And uh, cool. and he's a super nice guy. And so it, I just, it just feels like so much has come together in this last few years around this novel for me. Sure. Well, yeah. and, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, writing a crime novel is a really different thing than writing for kids. It is. And, you know, the, the book, uh, Junior Miles and the Junkman, I, I don't think I started out thinking I'm writing a middle grade novel. I just I had this voice of a 12 or 13 year old kid in my head and I wrote it in the first person. And it was really the voice that drove the narrative. So every time I get stuck, Junior would just tell another story or an anecdote or, you know. So um, I wasn't thinking about who was going to read it. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of changed over the years. And I think that may have been some of the issue with it early on is they weren't sure where to stick it, you know, yeah. <laughs> what, what shelf this goes on, right? Um, so in some ways, it was just writing a novel. And yeah, I mean, the crime novel is obviously for a different audience. And um, and that's not a first-person book. But uh, again, it was kind of steeped in something that I that I knew a little about. I grew up in Revere, Massachusetts. And um, there was a marsh that runs along parallel to the boulevard. And uh, back in the day, in the, when I was a young person, there, there was a lot of mobster activity and people would find bodies in the marsh and then all these stories kind of came out of that right some of them true maybe some of them not but um so one day i was driving by that marsh and i just imagined if somebody had had an uh a kind of encounter with someone in the marsh and there was a shooting and what if the body slipped into the marsh and disappeared what would happen and that became the kind of premise for the novel right and um 
and it's about 1980s. It's about Revere Beach. It's with all its uh, good and bad things, you know, uh, uh, you know about it that that I could draw on personally, you know, from having grown up there. So that felt like uh, setting wise and getting into the characters and felt I felt like I was on good footing in that in that novel. Now that I had a kind of plot device to go with, you know. Um, but uh, Junior was really about the voice. It was just about this kid telling the story. And you know, I was a seventh grade basketball coach for 19 years too. So I, so I know the age group pretty well outside of having two seventh graders of my own at one time. But um, so I felt like I was on good footing for another reason, right? For a different reason in that. So um, I guess you write what you know. And if you don't know it, you go figure it out. But, you know, so um, I felt comfortable in these two distinctly different areas for those reasons. Sure. Yeah. It's great when you can draw on that kind of stuff. When you have to go and, and research it, it can be a little trickier. At least I've found. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't mean that you can't become kind of a temporary expert enough to write whatever you need to write. But it is it is a different road. I haven't I haven't really tried that yet. You know, um, it's all kind of circles back to me in a weird <laughs> in a weird way um, where I'm comfortable. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. No, it's, no, works out well. So I know that a, that a lot of authors have trouble writing in different genres because agents and publishers don't want to you know, they, they think you're known for this. Therefore, you shouldn't turn around and write a book for kids. Or, you know, if you've been writing mysteries forever, you shouldn't suddenly write a romance novel or something like that. Have Have you encountered anything like that? I did a little bit. Uh, I had I had a few, you know, the the uh, few few publishers that were interested in that murder book in the past. Um, I was with an agent for this junk man book at the time. And, and some of that conversation came up about, uh, I don't think this is a good time to publish that, or that might not be good for this project. And, uh, but you know, it wasn't a sustained conversation. It wasn't, um, it did shy me away from one or two opportunities early on, but then, then it all worked out, you know? Um, and I guess I understand that from an agent's point of view about, wanting to kind of market you as this and not all of this, you know, like mm -hmm. how they like to be specific in, at least in my limited experience. And, um, but, uh, I was always going to keep shopping it eventually, you know? And, um, uh, I, I think that's the, that's the whole other side of writing, right? Like, Okay, I feel good about this. I finished this manuscript. Now what do I do with it? Now you you have to put on that other hat, you know, get busy and seek out your opportunities, you know, until you land something where someone else is doing that for you, which isn't the case with me really, you know. So um, uh it's it's a full time job in a few different ways that that I do part time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, well, I, I, I mean, I do it a lot of the time, but around teaching, you know, um, so it's, 
I have a great job that gives me the summer off, which I'm thankful for. And uh, uh, without that, I don't think I would catch up as quickly. Sure. So since you mentioned that you you took the middle grade novel back and shopped it yourself, I'm curious how that was, because most authors don't do that. Well, I mean, I had had three agents and they, you know, two of them especially worked very hard to try and find, you know, publishers for it. Um, and I'm eternally grateful for them because the the novel went through some changes in both cases that made it better. And, uh, you know, uh, they were very, gave me very wise advice. And, uh, um, but I think there's a certain level of publisher that they're looking for. And um, if it, if it doesn't happen with them, then they're gonna just shelve it for a while and try again later, which happened in that you know. And um, I was you know willing to kind of shop it around to other levels of publishers, you know, that weren't paying advances, that you know didn't have um, some of the perks that the big big houses have, right? Mm-hmm. And Regal House has been great. I mean, they've been so supportive. The The editing process was really professional. The book looks great. I'm really happy about the finished product. They're supportive. They get it out there. You know, they do a lot of things that the big houses do. They're just not giving you money up front for it. And, uh, you know, so I think that that's kind of the separator. Um, mm-hmm. that some agents want they want and look they they have to make a living too so i understand it that those advanced novels are the best thing you can do right for them for the writer and for the agent um but you know after a while i just said thank you very much but i'm you know i think i'm gonna seek out some of these other opportunities so i you know got my query letter together and a few chapters of the manuscript and, and sent it out like you do. And um, I got a few people interested and then uh, Regal House asked for the whole book and I sent it. And um, we came to an agreement on a little uh, kind of initial edit, uh, some things that would be extracted from the book. <laughs> and um, I was fine with that. And, he signed on the dotted line, and two years later, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you shopped any of your other projects yourself, or have those all gone through agents? No, the the crime novel was totally on me after many agent rejections, um, and that uh, that got published uh, by a uh, kind of horror pulpy publisher named Darkstroke in uh, in the UK, and. Um, well, that was a great experience too. They were fantastic, and uh, uh, that still that book still pops up once in a while. And um, and um, you know the poetry. I don't have an I don't have an agent for my poetry, um, and most poets don't. There are some agencies that represent uh, wildly popular poets, um, but uh, you know most of us are sending our manuscripts out on our own. And um, I was I was lucky there too. I found one press that uh, published three three books for me, and um, now I have a fourth one floating around. And uh, I just uh, I just 
have a had a collection published uh, with Lily Poetry Review with a friend of mine that we co-wrote it. It's called Olympus Heights, and it reimagines the Greek gods and goddesses living in a modern gated community. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of uh, fun and puns and, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, <clears throat> like there's Hera, Hera shopping at Whole Foods and Zeus on Instagram and, you know, things like that. So it's uh, <laughs> it was a blast to do. It was, it was right after the pandemic lifted and we started meeting for coffee. Her name is Colleen Michaels. And she's a good friend of mine. And uh, we gave each other. I'd say, you go home and write about Hera and, and she'd give me Zeus. And, and we just kept meeting every once in a while and doing that. And then we piled them up and published a few of them and then uh, said, you know what? I, I think we have a collection here. Let's start sending it out. And uh, so that recently just came out. So this has been a good year for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so and I'm so happy about that collection because finally it's poetry that's not about me. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel like maybe I've moved on from my my world into someone else's. and. Maybe that'll be the start of, uh, you know, a newer collection about something else, some other subject, you know, because uh, it has been a lot of internal generation of my own poetry in the past. I love the way that you collaborated on that. That just sounds like so much fun, As not least of all because of the premise, but even if the premise had been different, I think sitting around and trading you know okay here's this idea you go write this yeah we 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 already started a conversation about oh what what could we do next in the same way you know like what other subject could we tap so. yeah that's awesome so how did you end up doing film then well uh one of the many jobs that i had before i got back into school um was uh, I have a friend in Marblehead who owns an art gallery, Jack Heiberger, and he was an industrial kind of filmmaker. Um, and he had a little business in Beverly, and I had made a short film with a friend of mine, and uh, we needed a place to edit it, and he let us edit it, and that led to our friendship. And then we we set up this little industrial film and video business where we do uh, kind of trade show videos or you know marketing videos and um and every once in a while we do something of our own that was what we felt was a little more creative and uh and that led me to doing a few local documentaries with him and a friend of mine tim young and uh so i i i got some experience with it you know and um every once in a while i make a short film or think of a project to do and and then when I met these uh, Jersey poets, they were one of my favorite people in the world, Maria Maziotti Gillen, who runs the Poetry Center in uh, Patterson, New Jersey. Um, she was been a a figure in the poetry world in New Jersey. She went to school with Allen Ginsberg, and um, she's done so much for New Jersey poetry. So one of my friends at at FTU, or two of my friends actually, Bob Evans and Mark Hillinghouse. Um, Mark said we should make a movie about Maria. Mm. So we did. We made a documentary about her and, and Bob did the music for us. He's a songwriter and a musician. And um 
it was just a great collaborative experience, you know. We were people that met in this program and became really friendly and uh, and just were able to pull this off. So then we did another one a few years later about a, a Salem mass poet who had passed away named Malcolm Miller, who was kind of a street poet, but befriended a professor at Salem State University where I work. So we made a film about him and that their friendship. And um, I don't know, these were kind of labors of love, you know. Uh, I always joke that if you want to make less money as a poet, get in the poetry documentary business. <laughs> 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 no one's retiring off these movies but they were fantastic to do and we had several screenings and it was really a blast and you know as far as maria goes i mean she deserved something for all she's done over the years so that just felt really good to me her and i do uh poetry workshops together twice a year in mendham new jersey and i i had been a participant in those for years and then uh the poet Laura Boss, who used to do them with Maria, passed away. So now Maria's asked me to do them with her over the last few years. Cool. And it's really cool. It's just such an honor to hang out with her and, and help her in any way. I, I'd do anything for her. And um, so, you know, again, all this goes back to that MFA program and just having those Jersey folks. The Jersey's like my second home, you know. Uh, it, it's been so good to me. That's so great. Yeah. So it was a residential program then, right? No, it was a low res. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. And we were the first class of the low res at, at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Oh, wow. That must have been interesting because I did Goddard's low res program. And I was thinking. How did you like it? I, I loved it. But yeah. what I was picturing as you were talking was, you know, having more of an opportunity to really build those friendships, which... You know, we did, but not, you know, when you're, when you're only together for a week at the beginning of yeah. every semester, it's really hard to, to make that a real interactive, collaborative kind of thing beyond that week. Yeah. I think by the second residency, we had become really friendly and, and, uh, they introduced me to this weekend that I now help teach at. So we were seeing each other a few times a year and then making and then going out of our way to kind of get together another time. So we we really bonded and um you know I learned so much from them and you know it, it just it was it was a great program for me really. I mean I had two little kids at the time. I couldn't say to my wife, I'll I'll see you in a couple of years. I'll be home this summer, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <know>. No. <laughs> uh, not not that I want to, but you know um so it it was really what what worked for me around working and trying to raise a family and you know uh and uh I'm I'm so happy I did it. I mean I I go back most every year still and it's been uh, about 20 years so um yeah. it it's a perfect program for a certain type of writer or you know person in their life. I think if I was you know, if I was 21 years old, I probably would have wanted a full-time residency program, right? But um, this was the thing for me at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you know how it works. You you kind of do a lot of your work at home. and But those weeks and those 10, 10 days that we meet were really special. And oh, yeah. Fun, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And just because I'm thinking that there are probably people listening who have no idea what a low residency program is, it's 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 a, a regular academic program, but you do most of it from wherever you are. And so you spend a, a week or so actually in residence at whatever institution your program is at, which is where you do your workshops and your collaborating and, and you know, mm-hmm. however the program is set up. And then you go home and you do your academic work and you communicate that with your faculty through some means or other. I mean, ours was USPS, but I don't know. At this point, they may do it all online. I have no idea. Well, but, you know, I wonder if, it, and I don't have an answer to this, but I wonder if the if the low res programs are, are zooming now. I want, yeah. I mean, I would think that residencies would have had to be over Zoom, you know, in yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, now, like, if you go to a program, you know, how we would just submit stuff online mm-hmm. and go to a, you know, a group Canvas site or something. Uh, now I wonder if they actually do yeah. Zoom meetings with each other online. Could be. Certainly if we'd yeah. had Zoom when I was at Goddard, which was 2007 to 2009, I would imagine that my friends and I would have been Zooming each other all the time. But yeah. that wasn't really an option. So we had email. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we had email. Now you were at Goddard for fiction or poetry yeah. or both? Or? Yeah, long fiction. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, when you were talking about rejection, I remember it wasn't a faculty member that I had ever worked with, but I think when she did a a keynote, I think it was Banu Kapil, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Who talked about like how many rejections she had before she finally found a publisher and basically said, if you haven't had at least this many rejections, I don't want to hear you complain because you haven't sent <laughs> it out often enough. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, it's true. I try and tell students or just people that I know that are starting to write that, you know, uh, you should spend a couple of weekends and just send everything you have ready out so it's out there. And then if as it comes back, as a lot of it does, just look at it and if you want to change something, change it and just then it's easy to maintain that, right? Mm-hmm. Things come back one at a time, you can get them back out and you there's always things that there's always possibilities out there. It's like hope, right? It's like you know I I really hardly ever let my uh my submission coffer go dry. You know, mm. I, I always have it out and uh, sometimes out too early, probably, you know, but that's a test for the writing, too. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sent something out and got it back and said, why did I send this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't ready, you know, but something about that space of time and just doing that. So I think it's good for a lot of reasons. Just be circulating your writing. It tests it. It's it gives it an opportunity. It, it makes it feel like I'm doing it for a reason, right? But it's hard for some people to get in that habit. Yeah, and I, I think it, it's, hard, it's hard to let go of it because, especially because, you know, writers can be such perfectionists and, and everyone always says, and I think it's true, that a piece of writing is never really truly done. There's always something more you can do with it. But at some point, you have to decide that it's done or it's done enough for now, and it's done enough to send it out. And that point may just be, I have 
driven myself crazy with this and I need not to look at it anymore. You know, yeah, it can be yeah, that simple yeah. because otherwise you overwork it to death and you drive yourself crazy and it never goes anywhere. At some point, it's got to go somewhere and and hopefully not your bottom desk drawer never to be seen again, you know, but it's, right. it's got, yeah. you got to let it go and move on to the next thing or you will spend your entire life trying to write one perfect thing that will never be perfect because there will always be something that you can find that you want to change about it. Yeah, I do. And, and I do understand that. Um, you know, I, I also encourage students and people to like go out and read it somewhere mm. and go to an open mic or, or even read it to a friend and, so you can hear it and listen to it because we can fool ourselves or I can fool myself in my own little, you know, space and thinking wow this is really good when maybe it's not or sometimes the reverse maybe i don't think it's good enough and i'm not giving myself enough credit so yeah i always have to bounce it off someone somewhere to feel i'm still not really confident about oh i really have something good here mm -hmm. saying that on totally on my own so uh you know we all have a few people that we can trust, right, to tell us, you were right, it's not that good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, or maybe give us the, you know, just that encouragement or that, that idea that we weren't thinking of on our own, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because yeah. you can get too trapped in your own head. Absolutely. And, and at the same time, I think what you said about it's the people you can trust, you have to know who the right people are to share something with. And, you know, for, for a middle grade novel, it may not be the same person that you want feedback from for a crime novel. Yeah. And yeah. that's totally okay. Cause not everybody likes everything or is a good person to give feedback on everything, but you got to know who that is. It's such sub subjective business, you know, e even in workshops, if you're involved in a workshop, I always tell people, uh, Thank everybody for everything they say and then go home and do what you want. <laughs> right? Like don't, don't feel like every piece of advice is for you. It's not. I mean, there's many different readers out there and people react to things differently. If it doesn't resonate with you, but at, on the other hand, be open to everything. Don't try and close down that information. Like, Oh, oh no, wait a minute. You don't understand. You know, because that might be the person that's telling you something really valuable the next time, yeah. right? So just take it all in, say thanks, and then go home and think about it. And oftentimes what I find is that something else will emerge between what I had and the advice, and there'll be something different that happens in the middle of that, right? And just the process of rethinking it creates this idea that, Holy cow, I didn't think of that before, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so it's, you, you can't hug it too close to you. You're going to have to share it in some ways and get it out there and let it breathe and let other people react to it, I think, to really, for me, to, to really feel like I've got it down mm -hmm. or, or I'm close, you know? Sure. And, and yeah. I'm wondering, too, since you teach, what you... I'm thinking say, but say might not be quite the right word. It might be something else. Um, how how you handle students who have trouble 
taking feedback and who take it personally? Because there's always someone who does. Yeah, I I do tell them that, what I just said about just thank everybody for everything. But I also tell the people giving the feedback, look, there's a way to say something. Oh, sure. Right? We're not here to discourage each other. And, you know, so you can give honest feedback about things you think maybe need some work, but you can say it in a way that's that still doesn't deflate the person that you're speaking to, right? So I have those kind of conversations before we even get into it. And, you know, like if, if I have an intro to creative writing class, I, t- I tell them right at the beginning of class, look, what, what I'm asking you to do this semester really is not fair because <laughs> anything I've ever written that I was proud of took me a long time to write, a lot longer than a semester. So what I'm asking you to do is experiment and take some chances and, you know, be willing to rewrite because nothing is written till it's rewritten, right? So, um, you know, uh, so it kind of, takes the pressure off a little bit and then, you know, be honest with each other, help each other out and, and don't, um, you know, and it works most times, you know, um, you know, there's always a few times that, that it doesn't, but, uh, you know, writing, writing, teaching, writing is hard and writing is hard, right? It, you know, and unless you're that, that superstar out of the womb, right? You, mm-hmm. You're, uh, you're going to struggle with it at some point. And, and that's okay. That's good. That's where you learn. Yeah. 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 Like well, life, I, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, there, there was, there was someone in my MFA program who had a really, really hard time hearing feedback. And it really, I'm not sure that it mattered what it was. I, I think that he took all of it very personally. And I yeah. don't know if he ever managed to get past that. And it it seemed like such a shame because it was like, it's not about you. It's about making what you wrote better. Nobody's yeah. nobody's sitting here saying, you know, gee, gee, Bob, this this thing that you wrote is a great steaming <laughs> pile of crap and you should never be allowed to touch a pen again. You know? No one is saying that. It's yeah. just that we're seeing stuff that you're not seeing and trying to offer that up to help you make it better. But but no, I remember, you know, sitting in workshops with him and and he would he would just turn bright red you could practically see the steam coming out of his ears and i yeah, know I'm, that yeah i'm surprised he went into it <laughs> I, yeah but <laughs> though he was yeah. one of the people who had actually published some things before the program and i wonder if that led him to have an impression that he already knew all of these things in which case um, still why would you take the program yeah. if you thought you knew everything yeah. but but yeah, I always I always think of that because I think it was a tough nut to crack. I know some faculty tried to talk to him about it and kind of coax him into seeing it in a different way, and but I'm not sure if it ever worked. Yeah, I think I had the advantage of, of being still being pretty insecure about it and not and having a lot to learn getting into the game late that I was just willing to listen to everybody. And look, that doesn't mean I didn't get home and say, what the heck was he talking about? You know, I mean, sure, there's some feedback that I just never bought into. But 
I didn't need to display that, my displeasure at the time of the workshop. You know, sure. just just kind of take it and roll with it and go home and use what helps you. You know? Yeah. Um, it's an easy thing to do, really, if you can just take your ego out of it for the mm. for the workshop itself and just say whatever. Say what you want. Because maybe there's a kernel in there. Maybe there's one thing in there, even though most of the advice you want to throw out the window, there might be one thing that you say, oh, you know, I can't stand that guy, but I'm going to listen to that little piece of advice, right? So. Yeah. Or like you were saying before, you know, it could be that that what they say isn't actually what needs to happen, but it somehow leads you to what needs to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to discount any of it outright. Yeah. It's, you know, egos prevail sometimes, you know, <laughs> and uh, that's just the writing world, right? I mean, you know, yeah. um, I mean, I, I, I have the fortunate uh, position of, being the coordinator of creative writing at Salem State University. And so part of my job is being able to invite writers in and uh, for our reader series. And I've been so fortunate, man. The, the, the writers that have come in have been so generous with their time and so thoughtful with students. And most of them that we've had have, have been educators at one time or another. So, you know, um, which helps, I think. And uh, it, it's just writers can be really cool most mm -hmm. of the time. And, you know, every once in a while, there's, there's someone that, you know, wants to use their success as a kind of I'm better than you. And uh, that's unfortunate because there's so much good that can come out of writers speaking to young writers about craft and what they do with their time and how they come up with ideas and you know uh i've, I've just witnessed so many one-on-one -on -one conversations in in my time doing that 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 have really helped young writers to to get inspired you know so when i speak to anybody uh you know i'm i'm always thinking about the people that helped me right that were so generous with their time and they would just you know go out of their way to when I got in that MFA program, I had been writing a lot and I had been writing a lot of different things. So it was, I mean, if you can imagine like somebody running down the sidewalk with a big pile of writing <laughs> and saying, can you read this? And can you read this? And can you read that? And I really chased professors around and said, if you have a minute, would you, you know, and they were all gracious and, and, and they all took some extra time for so uh, I'll never forget that. And I, and I try and do that in my own life when someone asks me to read something or help them out. Or I'll give them an extra few minutes here, you know. It's, it's part of the joy of writing is to share it and help other people get where they want to get. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I love that kind of coming from the I don't know what I don't know space, you know. Yeah. It's just like, I know I want to do this. I know that I wrote this thing. Beyond that, there are probably a million things I do not know about it. So would you please read this and tell me something I don't know about this thing? You know, I yeah. great. I mean, still to this day, I don't I don't have the uh, I, I don't have the total confidence in yeah, this is good. <laughs> Without 
throwing it somewhere and getting it back, you know. Yeah. But that's also the fun of it because I'll do that for someone else. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of keeps the community alive. Yeah. And it's and, interesting because, you know, like, like you were saying earlier, writers by definition, you know, in many ways have to work alone, but that's where it's not alone. You know, you need to yeah. bring somebody else in. You can't, you can't just spend too much time in your own head. You need to get perspectives that aren't yours to really, yeah. you know, make it what it can be. Yeah, too much time in this head is dangerous space. I yeah, right. <laughs> that's true for all of us. I heard it once put as being left alone in my head without adult supervision. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know exactly what you mean by that. <laughs> we, all, we all need somebody to come in every once in a while and say, yeah, you've spent too much time thinking about this and you're not seeing oh, this yes, other thing over absolutely. here. And what yeah. about that? Yeah. Yeah, we all we all do. But you know, it's a it's a it's a great way to make sense of the world, right? I mean, the world's a crazy place, um, and uh, through art and writing and music and you know whatever, it, it's just such a a gift to be able to kind of process your life yeah. through something like writing, you know. And uh, I have two kids that were artists, both art school kids. And I used to tell them how lucky they were because, you know, no matter what the day was like, you could go, you know, make a short film, or, you know, make a painting, or, you know, uh, mm -hmm. react to it that way. You know, and I think it's really, I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't a writer. I, I think I'd be in trouble. You know, yeah. I, I don't think I'd be happy. Uh, I think I'd be looking, maybe I would have found something else. But um, to me, it's it's always a place I can go with a mission and with something to say. And, uh, you know, it makes it feel like it's it's always worth the day to get up and get out of bed and get busy. Sure. Yeah. Do you manage to convey that to your students? I try. You know, um, I get a lot of different, like, I have some upper-level writing courses where the kids are serious. They know what they want to work on. They've got novels or trilogies or, you know, whatever already in mind, right? And, you know, so that's that's the kind of student where we're just working on fine-tuning that, getting that ready, pointing out some things that maybe they haven't been thinking about, and just, you know, that's that's more crafty, right? But then I have these intro to creative writing classes where they, they come from all disciplines. They need the creative expression box checked, <laughs> right? And uh, But sometimes even those kids will say, oh, you know, maybe I'll minor in creative writing now. Like you, you try and open up a little side of them that maybe they didn't have coming in, mm -hmm. right? And uh, And just to give them that idea that, you know, writing a poem about this, writing a story about this, being inspired to write a play about this is, is a natural way to process the world, you know, and you'll always have it once you try it. So, um, you know, it's a few different stances, I think, you know, depending on the level of the class. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I do tell them, you know, be honest, take chances, just, you know, where else are you going to do this? You know, yeah, 
you know, to, and, and I say, and where else are you going to get, you know, 18 other people to look at your stuff? You have to buy 18 people dinner after you get out of school. <laughs> have that happen, right? yeah. <laughs> so, you know, take advantage of the feedback part of it too, because it's not, it isn't common out there mm -hmm. in the real world, you know, unless you're in a writer's group, which, you know, a lot of people don't have time for. Right. Yeah. And even then you have to pick your writer's group. Well, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If it's just a bunch of random people who don't really have a whole lot of writing experience, that's a very different thing from people who know what they're doing. Always the writer's groups you can't get into. Like they look at your work. Right. And say, yeah, I, don't, I don't think. Right. Well, and you can end up with the really snooty writers groups too, who want to judge your spelling and your grammar and not what you've actually been trying to do or don't, you know, who can't figure yeah. out what you're trying to do because they're off in their rarefied snooty world. So that's, yeah. that's the snooty writers group is not necessarily the right writers yeah. group for you either. <laughs> We're going to pass on your submission to our writers group. But really? Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've, um, I've heard about at least one experience like that from somebody who was brand new and, you know, just wanted to be around other writers and wanted feedback and really had to work to get them to, like, listen to her for her because they yeah. were so not used to that. I have a wonderful group that meets uh, the first and third Tuesday of every month. It's the Salem Writers Group. We meet at the Salem Athenaeum on Essex Street in Salem. And, uh, and it's a really kind group and everybody's welcome. And uh, newcomers are encouraged to read. So you get 10 minutes. So you can read. Most people do some combination of read for five and get feedback for five. Uh, you know, people will pass out poems sometimes if they're reading a poem. And I'm actually passing a crime novel through there now. I read little bits of it a couple of times a month. And it, it just helps me have something ready. For mm -hmm. it. So, um but it's a really kind group. There's no shortage of opinions. <laughs> like They're all over the place, which is great, but everybody's really nice and everyone's welcoming and supportive. And uh, so I'm lucky. Um, and I think other people are lucky to come to it, that it's, it's been going for a long time. I've started a few writers groups over the years that have always eventually burned out. You know, when you're sitting in a room with one person going, I think it's time to kill this writer's group. You know, <laughs> it's just you and me now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this one was started by a friend of mine at Salem State, J.D. Scrimgeon, and it's been going for a long time. And uh, and I think part of it is the format. Like, no one's taking anything home. You just show up with what you have. You pass out stuff or you don't. Uh, you know, so it, it's all very loose, and it's just a way to kind of, I don't know, read work out loud that you're working on it. That, that helps me tremendously. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and to read it to someone is different than reading it out loud to myself. Yeah. You know, so uh, I just think, you know, you pick up that sentence, you're like, oh man, why, why is that still in there? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's funny because when you hear it, it definitely hits differently than than when you read it. Yeah, I I have to read it out loud to myself all the time. And uh, just, I think you find the rhythm in your writing mm -hmm. when you do that. Um, you find your own voice, right? And uh, and if you pay attention to that, I think that's the thing that 
can take the hiccups out of the writing. Yes. You know, it, it can it can just roll along. And you know, the 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 best writing is when you forget you're reading writing, right? You just, <laughs> you're just kind of rolling along. Yeah. You know? And um, more than one time I have found something that sounded great in my head, but you know, I tripped <laughs> right over it trying to read it out loud and went back and tried yeah. it again and tripped over it again and was like, okay. That apparently doesn't work as well as I thought it did. Gotta <laughs> yeah. have to change that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true, and it's 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 only through that experience, in some way, that you that you're always testing it out, you know, before it's ready. And uh, sometimes you pass the test, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you, know? you stumble and fall. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just how it goes. It's just kind of how the writing, how writing works. And when you stumble and fall, you go back and you fix it so that nobody else has to stumble and fall. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing in some ways to ever finish anything. Yeah. You know, like I feel, you know, especially when you're just beginning something, you write longer fiction, you know what that's like to write those first couple of lines and say, man, the end of this seems like I can't even see it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Even if you know what it is, it seems like the road to that is just, am I ever going to get there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then you just kind of day at a time, you know? You just, like, pile it up a little bit here, a little bit there. I always say when I'm writing something longer, I love when I have 100 pages mm-hmm. because – it feels like something in my hand. I can carry it around. It's got some heft to it. It feels real. It feels real. <laughs> you know, it's not just an idea anymore. I feel like it's real now. So, you know, whatever that page like this for you that you need to get to to feel like you're, okay, this is real. I'm going to finish this. Um, but that getting there, that's just work, man. That's just showing up and sitting in the seat, you know. Mm-hmm. doing as much as you can when you can. Yeah. You know, I mean, I write around a teaching schedule and I write around other things in my life. And, uh, you know, but, you know, a little bit at a time can can pile up. Absolutely. And, then, and I think when I have a draft of something, that's when it's fun for me to go back in and tighten that up. That's yeah. the that's the joy of the process for me. That was something that I didn't realize until I did the MFA program because to be honest, I had started a million things but I'd never actually finished a novel draft. Yeah. And then that process in my last semester of having to go through it all and figure out okay, what works and what doesn't and what did I say on page 25 that doesn't match the thing that I said on page 130 and now I got to decide which one it is and you know all yeah. of that kind of stuff it was like putting together this giant puzzle and I never I, I did not expect it to be as much fun as it was but it was all of these little questions and what are the answers to this and how do they all fit together and and I thought it was an absolute blast it's still it's like you know no re rewriting and making it all work is its own kind of fun. It's just a different kind of fun. It's not it is, yeah. sit down yeah, and let it I all agree. out kind of fun. Yeah, and it's, you know, part of it is you feel like maybe you're getting closer to the finish line of it or, you know, uh, but it is kind of like sculpting, you know. You're just getting in there and you're 
just making sure that 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 face is coming alive, that body yeah. looks like it should, you know. And uh, uh, to me, that's the real joy of it when you feel like you can make it right. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't think that's appreciated enough. Yeah. Especially well, by I people appreciate who, who yeah. you know think that that yeah. revising is going to be drudgery. It's like no, no. Well, I, but but you know that that initial draft can be a slog, man. That can oh, be. Yeah. That that can be tough. Like you know, I do think it helps to know where you're going. Uh, it helps me to have at least a fuzzy vision of what the end might look like. You know, so you can keep pushing, pushing along that road. But um, even that isn't a guarantee that it's not just going to be a lot of work. You know, sit down in the seat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like a perfect place to stop. So thank you oh. so much for spending some time with me today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I look forward to listening to it. That is our show for this week. Thanks so much to Kevin Carey for joining me and to you for listening. Please leave a review for this episode. There is a link in your podcast app. And in it, tell us about a meaningful connection that's made a difference to you. If you enjoyed our conversation, I hope you'll share it with a friend. Thanks so much. If this episode resonated with you, or if you're feeling a little bit less than confident in your creative process right now, join me at The Spark on Substack as we form a community that supports and celebrates each other's creative courage. It's free, and it's also where I'll be adding programs for subscribers and listeners. The link is in your podcast app, so sign up today. See you there, and see you next week. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. Mm -hmm.